Isn't it funny how typical it is for the biggest stars in MMA to often become the most hated? It's almost a double-edged sword in that regard. I mean, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. With great power comes great responsibility. I am vengeance. So, sorry about that one. It can be quite shocking to see someone go from being loved and embraced by the community to sometimes literally overnight becoming public enemy number one. And much like Sauron, their wrath is often terrible and their retribution swift. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and these are 10 moments beloved fighters became hated. Number 10, Rose Namajunas. At one point in time, Thug Rose was yours and everyone's mum's favourite fighter. She'd overcome a childhood of abuse, her father's schizophrenia, and the mental health problems she's detailed throughout her career, which even led to being taunted by some of her opponents. You just can't do this. You can't deal with the media. You cannot deal with the pressure. It's too much for you. And aside from an extremely fun fighting style, her breakthrough moment really was when she dethroned the boogie woman Ioana champion. It was fast, shocking, and DC put a stamp on the name Thug Rose, which was eaten up by the MMA community faster than a Paddy Pimblet post-fight meal. Even when she lost the belt to Jessica Andrade, the community stayed with her, and then when she won it back, there was even more reason to celebrate. But what seemed to turn everyone against her was her performance at UFC 274, defending her title against Carla Esparza. It was a rematch long in the making, and the fans were treated to 25 minutes of the most lackluster title fight in UFC history. But that wasn't the only problem. Post-fight, she appeared on the MMA Hour with her coach and fiancé, Pat Barry, and rather than try to explain and perhaps apologise to the disappointed fans, they doubled down on their performance believing that she'd done nothing wrong even though she'd lost the title like there's big consequences to not sticking to what it is that you're training to do a lot of fans were justifiably upset with the less than entertaining strategy and the lack of self-awareness i mean the fight sucked let's be honest some fans went so far as to call her delusional will they be this upset forever though probably not rose has plenty of time to redeem herself might just need to wait for this one to all blow over number nine tito ortiz after losing to Frank Shamrock way back at UFC 22, things were not looking great for the UFC's newest star. But right after the win, out of completely nowhere, Frank up and retired, Tito went on to beat Vandalay Silva and became the light heavyweight champion. Four defenses later, and Tito had become the biggest star in the UFC. He was putting on exciting fights and was great at promoting himself. A rivalry had been brewing with Ken Shamrock and the UFC got to hype it on Fox. It was even covered by ESPN and USA Today, which back in 2002, let me tell you, was a big freaking deal. They eventually met at UFC 40 which, by the way, favourite walkout of all time, pyrotechnics and limp biscuit, what more do you need? It also broke the UFC gate record at 1.5 million, sold 100,000 pay-per-views. Heck, John McCarthy called it the turning point of MMA. Tito won, it was emphatic, and everyone, I mean literally everyone, wanted to see Tito versus Chuck Liddell. He was on a 10-fight win streak, had just head-kicked KO'd Hanato Sabral that very same night. But in the post-fight interview, Tito was asked, and apparently, he wasn't interested. Me and Chuck, I mean, our friendship's not worth the money we're getting paid, if you ask me. If we're going to get in here and do what we just did right now... I'm going to make it worthwhile myself and his self. And boy, did the fans not like that. And it didn't help that UFC President Dana White was leading an anti-Tito Ortiz press tour alongside it. Naturally, the fans picked up on all this and it made him super unpopular. In a way, he's honestly never really recovered from. Number eight, Alistair Overeem. Pretty much throughout the heavyweight career of The Ream, the fanbase always had questions about whether or not he was on some kind of performance enhancers. And at least according to him, it was all natural, baby. It is a genetic thing. You know, my body just doesn't hold any fat. Uh, my fat percentage is really low, that's why my muscles jump out, and, and my brother has the same. But uh, literally from his first fight in the UFC, it was non-stop controversy. 
So at UFC 141, he was booked against Brock Lesnar in a Clash of the Titans-esque showdown, but the Nevada State Athletic Commission required a drug test. His first sample failed, so he sent in a second one via his personal physician, and yeah, that was also deemed unacceptable. Ultimately, he was given a conditional license to fight, but a bit like when watching Memento, fans kind of knew something just wasn't right. He beat Brock down and was given a shot at the champion Junior Dos Santos, but guess what? He also failed that pre-fight drug test as well, and the secret juice was out of the bottle. Overeem said it was because a doctor prescribed anti-inflammatory medication that just happened to be mixed with testosterone. Oh no! He had a 14 to 1 testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. They only allowed a 6 to 1. Just rookie numbers to Overeem, clearly. I'm gonna pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. He became chastised and pretty much unanimously hated. Think Lance Armstrong, the guy who just straight up lied to every interviewer for the last however many years. But what he has done across the last 10 years is win some of those fans back. His body's changed so much it was kind of evident he wasn't on the same stuff he used to be, and you can't help but respect his continued commitment to the sport. Hey, what was that? Oh, he's gone back to K1 and he's super jacked again. Oh, never mind then. Number seven, Ken Shamrock. They honestly didn't call Ken Shamrock the world's most dangerous man for no reason. In the early 90s, he was doing the damn thing. He'd gone over to Pancrase in Japan and beaten some of the best guys in the world before starring in UFC 1, looking like the face of the promotion until Hoist tapped him in just one minute. But then he won even more fights, built an eight-fight win streak, became the king of Pancrase, and had a super fight with Hoist at UFC 5. I mean, he was arguably the biggest star in the UFC, or at least the biggest in North America. He talked a big game when he returned to the sport, and yeah, a lot of it was probably because of all the theatrics from WWE, but when I step in the ring, you're going to have to prove it's over because I'm coming after you and I'm taking that belt off your waist. And when I'm done with it, I may step on your head. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take your soul. That's good. At least you didn't have to go to Wizard of Oz to get some courage there, little lion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was actually combat sports, and the whole tough guy act started to wear a little thin. You know what I'm saying? I go in and you want to open your trap because that's all you're doing is opening your trap. I'm going to knock your hair black. He punched the highlights out of her hair. You are incorrigible. Then we got to see him coach on the Ultimate Fighter opposite Tito, and well, he kind of just came across like an arsehole. Pretty much all the fan base used to watch Tough back then, and he didn't really seem to have much of a strategy or a game plan for the training sessions. I mean, he made the team just watch tape instead of training. We didn't train this morning. We watched uh, a UFC that I've probably seen a bazillion times. Other ridiculous shit, like bringing in a bodybuilder to give advice. He got into some heated arguments with Tito as well, and most of the fans just found it. I guess the word is pretty cringe. Oh boy. Little bitch monkey. Come on. What? You think? Hey, okay, sorry, we can get it. Oh, yeah. Then he started losing a bunch but continued to talk shit. He was never really very humble, although again, that might have been part of the WWE act. The fan base just turned on him, and well, although now he's a legend, many fans still dislike him. I mean, you can go and ask Dana White what he thinks. Ken Shamrock owes me $175,000, and I'm coming for it, Ken. Number six, TJ Killer Willa Dillashaw. For a brief moment in MMA history, TJ became somewhat of a people's champion. Listen, when he battered Henan Barrow at UFC 173, it was dodgeball, a true underdog story. The Baron was on a 32-fight unbeaten streak, and the Team Alpha Male kid took him out like Harry Potter dicking on Voldemort. He even beat him a second time, but everything was about to change. In 2015, he made an appearance coaching on The Ultimate Fighter, where Conor McGregor had called him out as a snake in the grass. You shouldn't be letting him in your 
because he's a snake in the grass. And I told you that for your face. You brought him onto the, uh, into the tough thinking he was there to help you and he was there to help him. Now, some fans had already been aware of what this meant, but the story started to unravel from here. Turns out there'd been a dispute between TJ and the coach that recruited him literally out of high school, Uriah Faber. TJ's game had massively improved alongside coach Dwayne Ludwig, who temporarily joined Uriah's team, Alpha Male. But Ludwig fell out with Uriah and TJ wanted to keep training with the coach that got him to the world title. Connor called out his unloyal behavior, and considering most people absolutely adored Connor at the time, a little, little petty stuff. I mean, I think it's blown out of proportion, really. Slowly, the fan base started to turn on TJ. Everything completely fell apart, however, when he moved to flyweight to fight Henry Cejudo, lost almost immediately in the first round, and then his USADA test came back positive for EPO. He instantly became one of the biggest villains in the sport. It was probably the biggest USADA violation in the last five years. The real CEO of EPO, Dilla Snake, he embraced his new role as the bad guy. Shit, he even got a snake tattoo. Fans still haven't forgiven him. More stories have come out about him injuring teammates like Chris Holdsworth, and now he's fighting for a world title. Fuck knows what will happen if he wins. Number five, Israel Adesanya. Some people might think that a guy that likes anime, Marvel, and apparently has a cartoon porn addiction wouldn't be in the running as one of the more popular stars in combat sports, but at some point the fan base was infiltrated by Gen Zs or something, and hey, Izzy has become one of the biggest pay-per-view stars the UFC has. I mean, UFC 253 sold the same amount as the showdown between John Jones and Rashad Evans. When he arrived in the UFC, even the hardcore fan base couldn't help but fall in love with his striking, which demonstrated mixed martial arts at the absolute highest level. And don't get me wrong, plenty of people still want to see him fight, but for some, they've apparently gotten a little sick of Adesanya. Some fans didn't like the disrespect he showed to Robert Whittaker or the theatrics of his dance routine during the walkout. A UFC 248 against Yoel Romero, fans and fighters thought the fight was a snoozer, and Israel actually did get a lot of the blame. And subsequent quote-unquote boring fights against Vittori and Cannoneer, especially after a ton of trash talk and walking out ready to put the remains of Jared in an urn he brought into the arena, it definitely had a lot of fans jumping off of the Izzy train. Look, he didn't cheat or anything like that, but because he was at one point so popular, the narrative has almost completely shifted against him, and because he's been so spectacular in the past, I think that's only added fuel to the fire of his haters. Number four, Hamzat Chemaev. Okay, wow, I mean, this one happened quickly. I don't think there's ever been such a clear moment of fan fallout since Cyberpunk dropped and left millions of children crying and wiping away their tears with their pre-order receipts. I'm certain Hamzat still has fans, somewhere, just evidently not inside the T-Mobile arena. Before UFC 279, people couldn't get enough of Hamza. Anything with his face on it did massive numbers across social media. He had more Instagram followers than Daniel Cormier, and actually, he still does. But the point is, he was the promotion's new golden child, and at least for now, it's been a complete 180. How much of it is his fault? Well, I guess we don't really know. He had complications post-COVID, sure, and maybe during fight camp, he just fucked up. But we do know, according to his coach, he was shaking, vomiting, and passing out while trying to cut the weight. Everyone was concerned, so they called the doctor, who said, yeah, this is is a bad idea. People have cut the same amount of weight he needed to overnight. Inside MMA followed Tim Bosch that one time and he cut 11 pounds the day before. But the fans, they were pissed. I mean, it might have been the fact that the entire fight card got reshaped because of him. I mean, just listen to this. And that continued right up until he walked out for the fight. But it didn't seem to affect him, though. He won in about as dominant a fashion as you can, and given the flippant nature of some MMA fans, who knows, this time next year he could be Keanu Reeves. You're breathtaking. <laughs> You're breathtaking. Number three, Conor McGregor. 
I think it's important to remember that when Conor McGregor arrived in the UFC, not everyone liked him. He talked a lot of shit, and he had to earn the respect and adoration of many fans with his world-class performances and genuine skill as a mixed martial artist. By the time he KO'd Jose Aldo and Eddie Alvarez, even if you were a Conor hater, the large majority of the MMA world were paying their respects. But tell me, friends, when did Mystic Mac abandon reason for madness? Well, it started with homophobic slurs and jumping in cages, and then it was the fact he didn't defend either of his belts and was stripped of both them. He was also kind of non-stop shit-talking and picking fights with everyone on Twitter. Fans were kind of getting sick of it, but the big turning point was his reckless assault at the UFC 223 media day. He attacked a bus full of UFC fighters just to get to his rival Habib, and he injured several of them in the process and kind of put the whole event in jeopardy. Then after they actually did fight, there was a massive brawl, and in the following year we saw sexual assault allegations, smashing fans' phones, punching old men in pubs. The resentment had just built to an entirely new level. He did addressed this behavior in interviews and it almost looked like he was back on the right track. I must get this right and I must not go down that path, that, 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 the, path the, the, the written path, the cliche of the fighter that has it all and I need to be aware of, of my past, of the past of other individuals and learn from it and grow and that's what I'm doing and that's that's what I'm working hard to do every single day. But sadly this just wasn't the case. Given that he's done so much for the sport and entertained us all over the years, of course he'll always maintain some level of respect, but he was at one point one of the most popular fighters ever. Number two, Ronda Rousey. I don't think anyone could have predicted the level of popularity and stardom Ronda Rousey would actually achieve when she arrived in the UFC. She had an aura of invincibility, a million dollar smile, and seriously, brought women's MMA to the mainstream. For that, you can't really thank her enough. I mean, sure, there were always people who disliked her, resented her, and the argument that women's MMA just wasn't at a high level at the time, I mean, well, they're not wrong but that didn't stop her from becoming a global superstar. But when she coached against Misha Tate on The Ultimate Fighter, we got to see more of her personality, and well, this was the moment a lot of fans just switched off. She was ferociously competitive with her rival, and it almost came across vindictive. She wasn't exactly graceful in victory either. She flipped Misha the bird after the coach's challenge, and then after winning their fight, refused to shake her hand. At this point, she had lost a ton of respect from the hardcore fanbase. It was almost as if this had all come so easy to her, she didn't need to treat MMA with the same respect everybody else did. Obviously, she went on to lose and definitely didn't handle it well, and it just continued to snowball from there. Number one, John Jones. There weren't really a lot of reasons to hate John at all when he was on the way up. He was a bright-eyed kid, presented himself as a God-fearing man. Chip, he was even doing Kevin Holland things before it was cool and stopped a robbery on the same day he won the UFC title. He was also quite possibly the best talent the UFC has ever seen, so of course people loved him. But during his rivalry and the build-up towards the first Daniel Cormier fight, we saw a completely different side to John Jones. Daniel had called him out for being fake for putting on an act and told us all he wasn't the person he pretended to be. They got into a scrap at media day, but that wasn't the worst of it. During an ESPN interview when the cameras weren't live, John uttered the unforgettable line, Hey pussy, are you still there? I'm here. The video leaked and boom. In an instant, the illusion was shattered. John wasn't an innocent, respectful kid. He was being spiteful. He made DC so mad he wanted to spit in his face. I wish they would let me next door so I can spit in your fucking face. You know I would absolutely kill you if you ever did something like that, you right? could never, You could never kill me. Oh, I, I bet you I could. From there, it all unraveled, and he started letting fly during interviews. And sure enough, people expect some very malicious, violent things that happen 
the night of September 27th. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on now, John. I thought you were a good old Christian man. What's all this then? It really did confirm a lot of what fighters like Rashad Evans had said about John's true nature for years. After that, Bones embarked on a series of just escalating offences that saw him lose more and more fans along the way. Despite all the glory he's achieved and records he's set, I'll just say it, it's very hard to be a John Jones fan these days. All right, we did it. Big shout out to, uh, well, everybody in the office actually for helping edit this one just two days after the event. Also, I know the new Lord of the Rings show is just terrible, but you know what isn't? Ben Rosette's music. That's right. You heard his song in the intro and you can check him out on Twitter and on Spotify. If you want to hear more, I would recommend it more than the Lord of the Rings. Oh my God. Little bit of a sad video today, but you can get yourself some happiness back by hitting the like button if you feel like it. Also, if you want to see more from us, we do three videos a week. So subscribe. Have you guys got any fighters you loved that didn't make this list that you now hate? All right, because it happens, you know, it's like an ex-girlfriend, isn't it? All right, that's enough from me. I'll catch you in the next one. Cheers, guys.